Welcome to the Fishers of Men podcast, brought to you by us at So Much Media. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. I'm Laura Samara Sands. This podcast is about relationships and your walk with Jesus. It's about the true stories of Christian men and women's struggles with chastity, sex, marriage, and relationships in a post-Christian culture. episode of the Fishers of Men podcast. Today we've got a guest on to tell us all about the wonderful world of natural family planning. Our guest today is Paul Fahey. Paul, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, I've been married six years, just over six years. My wife, Christina, and I, we have four kids. I work at a small parish in, in mid-Michigan as the director of religious ed. I help out with everything from first communion prep to marriage prep to everything in between. Awesome. And you, without going into too many details, uh, you and your wife have used NFP for your whole marriage? Yeah. So actually, my parents taught NFP for a long time. That was how I grew up in a lot of ways. So we took NFP classes uh, as part of our marriage preparation when we were engaged. And uh, we've actually, we're on our third method of NFP over the past six years. So, so we're pros, maybe. <laughs> wow. There's different methods. Yeah, there's different methods, yeah. Okay. Um, so you're the perfect person to talk to, it sounds like. For our Protestant listeners or Catholics who might not know, uh, can you just give us a general outline of what NFP is? Yeah, so, so NFP or um, natural family planning is the term that's given to, it's a way of, the Catholic Church would say being responsible parents, planning one's family around one's financial or physical health, emotional health. But it's a way of tracking the fertility of men and women, but especially women, uh, to figure out when the woman is, is fertile and can get pregnant and when she's not. Because uh, actually only about uh, 24 hours or so out of a cycle, a woman can get pregnant. And uh, sperm can only live for five days. So really out of a regular cycle, there's only about a week or less where the, a couple can actually get pregnant. So different NFP methods use different things, everything from body temperature to hormone tests to cervical mucus to any of these other these biological inputs to figure out exactly when that fertile window is. So if a couple doesn't want to get pregnant, then they obviously wouldn't have sex during those times. And if they do want to get pregnant, that's the ideal time. All right. Just out of curiosity, what methods have you used? Yeah, so we started off using what's called Synthrothermal. And the group that taught us was Couple to Couple League, or CCL. In the Catholic world, they're perhaps the most well-known NFP method. And that uses body temperature and cervical mucus to, those are the inputs that it uses to figure out uh, when a woman's pregnant. And then we moved on to Creighton, which in some ways is, is the most scientific. They train doctors and other medical professionals to, to look at uh, women's charts who use Creighton. They can actually make medical diagnoses other than fertility based on these charts. They've made huge advancements with, with NAPRO technology to help otherwise infertile women and couples get pregnant without resorting to uh, in vitro fertilization or something like that. And that is, Creighton method is mucus only. And then just about six months ago, 
we learned the Marquette method, which uses a, a digital fertility monitor that uses uses urine tests and that actually reads estrogen levels and LH hormone levels to determine when ovulation is happening. Awesome. And so are you happy with the Marquette method? Well, we only started using it right after the birth of our fourth child. So we've only used it postpartum, which is the most difficult time oh, and yeah. to, to use NFP. So it's been going well, but we haven't used it with normal cycles. So as far as postpartum goes, it's, it's better than what we have done, but postpartum is never great. So. <laughs> right. That's what I hear from all my married friends. Um, so I guess obviously for Catholics, I mean, well, the, the reason why someone would want to use NFP is kind of more obvious for Catholics, which is that we, church teaching is that we're never allowed to use artificial contraception. Yes. So what are the other reasons why someone might want to use NFP? Yeah, NFP is kind of like the 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 natural conclusion of of the church's teaching because because the church says that we can't use artificial contraception. It says its reasons for teaching that taught that very consistently. But then it also says we have to be responsible parents and we need to take into consideration the common good of the spouses and the family. And we can't just arbitrarily decide on the when to have kids. So that's going to put the mother's life at risk, or if that's going to put the family in a bad situation then it's better not to get pregnant. But then the church says that long periods of, of abstinence when you're trying to plan a family can actually hurt the marriage too. So if you take all those principles together, the conclusion would be, okay, how can we best figure out a woman's fertility, a couple's fertility, so that we can reduce abstinence as much as we can while at the same time not using using contraception. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the conclusion I guess, of all these principles. Hmm. And since you're a catechist, can you uh, lay out for us the tr- why the church is teaching against artificial contraception? I assume you want the two-minute version and not the hour-long version, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> can it be summed up in two yeah. minutes? <laughs> <laughs> so so in, in a nutshell, the, the church sees sex as good, not, not just good, but holy. It's the means by which... God allows new life to be created. And in his infinite wisdom, he, for his own reasons, decided to make us uh, uh, sinful idiots co-creators with him in making new human life, which the church has a really, a really strong teaching on, on human life, that we're made in the image and likeness of God, mm-hmm. that we're immeasurably valuable, that we have immortal souls. So it's, it's a tremendous privilege that human beings get to be co-creators with God in making a new eternal being, a new being made in God's image and likeness. And sex is the way that God set up that this happens. So sex isn't just good, it's holy. The word holy just means set apart. So God lays a special claim on what we can and can't do sexually because it's the means by which he ordained us to help make new life. That's the simple version. There's an ancient natural law teaching that goes back centuries and centuries that looks at, by looking at what something does, you can determine what that thing's purpose is for. And by determining what something's purpose is for, you can determine how it ought or ought not to be used. So if you look at what sex does, the church is going to say that it, it makes babies and it unifies a couple 
in a way that nothing else can. So therefore, every act of sex must respect both of these two purposes, both of these two ends. So therefore, any intentional way that a couple would do to separate out either the unitive aspect or the procreative aspect of sex would be disordered, would be wrong. So using contraception would be a couple intentionally separating out this procreative purpose of sex, and the church would see that as a disordered act. Well, that was a really good summary. Yeah, good job. <laughs> Way to elevator pitch that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you totally just elevator pitched NFP <laughs> to us. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the benefits, some of the benefits that I hear apart from, you know, not doing something disordered are that it brings the couple closer together because it makes you, forces you to communicate when otherwise you really wouldn't have to about whether or not you want kids and kind Mm -hmm. of what's going on in your relationship. And then for women, especially I've heard the benefits are that you get to know your body and your cycle without artificial contraception, which or like, for example, the birth control pill which has its uh, like a whole host of its own side effects and potential consequences for health and everything. Have you, in your marriage, experienced benefits from NFP? We have experienced uh, some. So there's... My wife struggles from different... Um, um, like, she has some thyroid disorders. She has, like, postpartum anxiety. So being able to know her body and track her cycles and track her hormones uh, has been really helpful with her and her doctor to be able to treat these kinds of things. So that's been really helpful. It has helped helped us communicate with, as Catholics, when we get married, we take vows of being open to life. So because one of the primary ends of marriage is to, to have children and to educate children, the church encourages its couples to err on the side of having children, of being fruitful, unless there's obviously serious reasons or reasonable reasons not to. So every month with NFP, you're forced to, as a couple, maybe not forced to, but this method lends itself to encouraging this conversation of, should we try and get pregnant this month? Do we have reasonable reasons to not get pregnant this month? Or do we have to suck it up and and abstain this period this month? And is it worth it? So it, it, it can be an aid to help you have that conversation on a regular basis. And then, then also, this hasn't been a problem for my wife and I, but we have close friends who have struggled with, with infertility. And NFE can be a huge asset in um, helping a couple uh, get pregnant because not only can it pinpoint exactly what ovulation is, but especially using something like the Creighton method and and NAPRO technology, there's been some real advancements in hormone therapy and things like that to help couples get pregnant when they can't. So those are some benefits that that we've seen and that we've experienced. Oh, that's good. At the same time, though, uh, so one of the reasons why I really wanted to have you on the show was I really admired uh, an article that you wrote about some of the sort of negatives, shall we say, or some of the cons on the list of pros and cons that happen when using NFP, 
that aren't necessarily as talked about because at least a lot of the literature that I see around NFP are 100% wholly positive, uh, like sometimes to the extreme where it's like, before my marriage was dead and then I started using NFP and now we levitate when we have sex or, you know, like, like really, (laughs) I I mean, like, not joking, I've seen some, like, really kind of suspicious, you know, hyperbole exaggerations, um, so, um, can you talk a little bit about the struggles to it and also sort of the downfalls with marketing that we might have experienced in the church? Yeah, so we have friends who who use NFP and, and they joke because one of the lines that you hear a lot in NFP circles is after long periods of abstinence, you, you get to have sex again. And it's like the honeymoon effect. That's what they call it. And, mm. and my friend laughs and she says, except don't they remember how bad honeymoon sex was in the first place? So why would we want to go back there? <laughs> um, I think that, at least in my experience, I think that there's because... Um, contraception, especially, uh, is so just common in, in in the culture around us. I think Catholics who practice NFP and you try to be faithful to the church almost have a defensive attitude towards it, yeah. where they want to defend it at all costs. But well, I think I think that's very well intentioned. I think what it does is it ends up overselling it. At least that at least that was my experience. And I mean, we've had some fantastic NFP instructors and all of them have been very well-intentioned. But I know that going into marriage, especially after we had our first child and are going through postpartum, which is the the most difficult time to use NFP because all those markers, those data inputs, whether it's temperature or mucus or hormones or whatever, they're all out of whack the first several months after you've had a baby, especially if you're breastfeeding. So it becomes very difficult. And right after you have a baby is usually the time you really don't want to get pregnant again right away. So as we went through postpartum NFP, at least it really shocked me where I was like, nobody told me how hard this was going to be. Nobody nobody talked about how, how difficult this was. It was almost like NFP is widely talked about uh, with these rose-colored glasses on, like, look at how great it's going to be. Um, and I think that the the real struggles with it are overlooked in a lot of ways. Yeah, and that can be really harmful because it seems like, I mean, I'm just putting myself in your shoes. The way that I would feel is like, am I doing something wrong? Like, if I'm not getting these amazing results that everybody else is talking about. Yeah, I, I think it can do... I think you can do two things. If someone can, you know, a year after they got married or whatever, they're struggling with NFP, especially postpartum or something. And they're like, holy crap, I was sold a bill of goods. Like I was, they could feel like they were lied to, that they were, they were set up in some way. And obviously that's, there wasn't anyone's intention, but in a lot of ways they may not be wrong, but also if they're really struggling, struggling, as you said, and everyone else, is talking about how awesome NFP is, they can feel very isolated in their own suffering and think that they're doing something wrong or think that something's wrong with them. And if there isn't a culture where they feel comfortable enough to reach out to people and realize that, I would say that there's more people struggling with NFP than there are people who are thinking that it's wonderful all the time. 
that they would actually find a lot of community and a lot of solidarity from other people. But I think we're so defensive about it that all we want to do is talk about its positives that it actually ends up isolating people. Yeah. And, you know, there's there's so much to the Christian life that is like that. You know, like, uh, I was just reading uh, the gospel passage where Jesus is like, you know, when you fast, look like you're not fasting and be all cheerful and don't be gloomy and whatever. <laughs> but sometimes you just want to be like, I'm hungry. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> like, like, it's great. <laughs> but yeah, but it's also the, the thing with... Yeah, the thing with fasting, though, is fasting something is something you choose to do voluntarily. Right. Whereas a, a lot of times if, I mean, for the situations you have with NFPs where you get a combination of different things where, so so, so my wife has, has bad postpartum anxiety. If you mix that with not really having reasons not to get pregnant, now all of a sudden NFP has to be used not just conservatively but beyond conservatively right and what that leads to is very long periods of abstinence which also isn't helpful uh, for a marriage especially you have lots of young kids and you need to work as a team together and all this kind of stuff and I mean that's been our experience but that's not even the worst of it if someone has if if a woman has health issues that make getting pregnant again life-threatening in some way then all of a sudden a couple could be staring down months, if not years of abstinence. And this isn't something they voluntarily chose, like fasting. This is something right. that's been imposed upon them because we live in a broken world and we don't have mm-hmm. perfect bodies and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So you really need a community to help you through that because you can't do that in isolation. Yeah. That's a good point. And have you been able to find some deeper meaning in those struggles with NFP, like in terms of your walk with Christ? <laughs> at, at the times when I'm not fighting it too, then now perhaps. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, our our faith is so beautiful, in the sense that when we when we ask this question of why do we suffer, that the response from the Christian faith from the Catholic faith is that is is that we have a God who not only became one of us to suffer with us. There's real solidarity that Jesus Christ suffered with us in a human body, but that he not only suffers with us, but that through the mystery of his cross, we can somehow offer up our sufferings for for the good of others, offer that up in some way. And I'm not sure how to do that well. I've never uh, (laughs) been good at, at suffering well or offering up suffering, but there have been moments where in the worst of it, you're able to kind of put it in perspective and say, there's light at the end of the tunnel and at the other end of the suffering or through this suffering, Christ is making me a better person. He's forming me into who he wants me to be. And in some way I can offer up the suffering for the other people in my life who may be suffering more. And that's been, that's been something for us. Uh, my wife and I struggle with being maybe too fertile, but, but we have friends, like I said, who struggle with, with infertility and when we talk with them, it's easy to get caught up in our own suffering and think the grass is always greener on the other side. But when we talk with our friends of ours who struggle with infertility, we're like, holy cow, I'm glad. There's not, a, there's not I'm glad they're carrying that and not be, but there's a real appreciation for 
man, maybe our suffering isn't the worst thing ever. And then you're able to put things in perspective and offer up our suffering for someone else. Mm, Yeah, that's really good. So in addition, what would you recommend to people who do find themselves struggling? I know you said reach out and find people to talk to and then also offer it up. But are there other suggestions that you have? Yeah, well, as I said, I struggle with, with with offering it up. And I think that phrase gets used. And I'm sure most of the time it's used really sincerely. But if you're really, really struggling, if you're really suffering, the only response you get is someone telling you to offer it up. <laughs> that, kind of feel, that kind of feels like an FU in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. Or just shut um, up and sit down and deal with it. Yeah, yeah. And just deal with it. And Bishop Barron, he had a reflection several months ago where he was like, he was like, if, if the whole of Christianity is built around us helping other people carry their burdens. So if, if, so if you're going to say, offer it up, but you're not willing to lend a hand to help someone mm-hmm. carry their burden, how genuine is your saying, offering it up? So I don't say, I, I'm not telling other people who are really struggling <laughs> to just offer it up. I think that, I think, I think they're reaching out, finding other couples who are using NFP and being a little bit vulnerable and opening up that discussion. I think that more often than not, couples who use NFP have real struggling in it. And if you can find solidarity with each other, that goes a long way. I think as with any suffering, going, leaning into Christ and leaning into the grace that he gives us in the sacrament of marriage to help you through it and not just help you through it, but help you be a better person at the end of it. So since you have four kids and you've been married six years, that's kind of a, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> four and six years. Wow. Um, so can you talk a little bit about, I, I mean, I imagine that you didn't set out to, to, uh, th- there's no real delicate way to ask this. So just ask it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I imagine that some of these are a surprise. Some of your kids, a happy yeah. surprise. So do you also have advice for people who ha- think they're doing NFP totally right and then, oh, look, a surprise. <laughs> to, uh, how to kind of balance the feelings there? That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. So, yeah, one of our kids was a total surprise and it was the only time that we were really actively trying not, not to get pregnant again at that point. <laughs> it was tough because there's a lot of, there's a lot of mixed feelings because there's your immediate reaction is I don't want to be pregnant. I don't want this child. But then as that sets in, especially as Christians, you're like, man, that's a terrible thing to think. But at the same time, it's also a very human response to this. So there's a lot of conflicting emotions where you want this child, you love this child, but at the same time, you don't want this child right now. And man, it was tough. It gave me a whole new perspective because my wife and I have a good relationship. We have a house. I have a job that pays the bills. We have a family that supports us. Like I can't imagine being 
unexpectedly pregnant and not having any of those things yeah. or lacking even some of those things it's <laughs> it's terrifying so yeah that it going through that really put things in perspective of the the experience of having an unexpected pregnancy but yeah as 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 far as advice i mean for us, my wife and I, having a good relationship, we're able to lean into each other and draw strength from each other. And we're in a really good community. The The town that we're in is is pretty Catholic. And uh, having four kids in a row isn't uh, isn't that unusual. So, so we were able to find solidarity in the community as well and from our extended family too. So we had those supports to lean into. If you don't have those, I don't know. It's really tough. Yeah. And especially, as you mentioned before, women that have health issues, like an unexpected pregnancy could mean life or death. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so finding the gratitude for this new life, I just, I can't even imagine. It must be a thousand times harder. Yeah. It's, it has to be a grace. I mean, I can't imagine being able to do that on our own strength. It has to be something that, some type of strength that God gives us in that moment. I was just thinking more relationally. You touched a little bit on that aspect with your wife and the struggle and all of that, but I, I want to hear more about that. You and your wife talking about it and like the struggle about postpartum. Like, I just want to dig deeper into that and what did that look like with your communication? Did you have support groups outside of each other that like you have a men's group, she has a women's group. Did she have like a group of women that were going through the same thing when you guys got pregnant and you weren't expecting to get pregnant? I just, I guess I just want to get into more of the nitty gritty of like, what what did that actually look like and how did that look like in your relationship with one another and for your family? Like, do you talk to your children about this sort of thing? I, I imagine that they're too young, but I mean, I have all those sort of like relational questions more than just the, the technical and method questions. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. Are you able to go into that a little bit more? Cause that's what fascinates me. Yeah. So, so like I said, we're, we're blessed being in a community that's pretty Catholic to, us being a couple who uses NFP, we aren't the only couple in town that does that. So my wife is in a mom's group and they all have young kids and they're all, all using NFP and um, different methods in, in some way. And she's able to f- find support in that. I'm in a men's group with guys who also use NFP. So we don't share all of the same struggles, but at least we're all kind of on the same page with even what NFP is and the basic difficulties that come with it. But I imagine that that's more unusual than not knowing that NFP is pretty foreign to the culture in general, but even not necessarily common to, to Catholics either. So we definitely had community support. I think a lot of it was our own leaning into each other. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, our own, our own leaning into each other in this, my, my wife and I are, uh, are very opposite, uh, almost the exact opposite. If you were to do any personality test, we would score <laughs> exactly the opposite. But that can also be used to our advantages where my, uh, my own feelings and fears and emotions are usually different than my wife's feelings, fears, and emotions. So we're able to pull each other out 
of the, of the pits that we're in because when the fears that my wife has are things that I'm like, oh, that's not going to be a big deal. And I can tell you why it's not a big deal. And the fears that I have, she's like, why are you worried about that? This is why that's not a big deal. So <laughs> we're able to, to draw strength from each other, which is really helpful. That's probably the biggest thing. But then our families, uh, our parents are also also really supportive as well. So, yeah, not just, I mean, emotionally supportive, being there when we need them, helping the babysit, all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of foundations around our marriage that aren't just us that have really helped. Oh, that's good. And where do you think that you've gotten those foundations from? Or is it um, just how your relationship has always been? Yeah. So both my wife and I were born Catholic, raised Catholic, all that kind of stuff. So we have families that for the most part know what we're going through and are able to support us in that. And practicing the faith and following the teachings of the church has never been something that, that we've questioned as a couple. So there hasn't been as much of that temptation to be like, this is a difficult, screw it, mm-hmm. that we've, we have common ground in that and, and strength in that. And I work at a church. We're involved in, in the parish community. So yeah, some of these foundations have just been from the families that we've come from. And some of them have been very intentional in putting ourselves within the Catholic community. With NFP, and I hope it's okay to ask this, we can edit if not, <laughs> but I imagine that you have certain cycles, right? Like a cycles of abstinence, or, or rather better times to have sex than not if you are trying to get pregnant. Does, does it ever... Or trying to avoid pregnancy. Or try to avoid pregnancy. Um, do you have a, a, a thought about the roteness of it i don't know if my husband and i do nfp per se but we do try to do like a cycle thing but people have warned us okay just so you know it's gonna it's gonna start feeling mechanical mm, at some takes point a spot name, yeah. yeah and then so do you have any thoughts on that advice encouragement i mean at some point there's a certain time of month that's gonna be better what if you're not in the mood and like do you yeah. just forego that that yeah. month and trying to get pregnant or you know like how do you deal with those sort of things i've heard that from women especially on like online forums that i've seen when they're like it's the time of month to have sex and i just really don't want to yeah i mean i guess you know you just you just go with god and you're like <laughs> okay maybe this is not the month for it for us but i mean i don't know i just want a real life perspective of if you are willing to share that it or have you and your wife or just stories that you know if you could stay anonymous <laughs> of, of like of that. Yeah, my, my, my quote unquote friend. Yeah, my friend said this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I just wanted your perspective on that. If you had any. Yeah. So, so NFB is unfortunately pretty unfair to women to the extent that the time when a woman is biologically most, most prepared and receptive to have sex is when she's the most fertile. So if you're trying not to get pregnant, a man's biology, they're um, ready and willing pretty much any time. But a woman has, her cycle has ups and downs. But the ups are when, if you're trying not to have a kid, when you're definitely not having sex. So that that can be difficult. For, for my wife and I, we've spent, I mean, we've had four babies in six years. So half or more of our marriage has been when my wife is pregnant. Obviously, we don't practice nfp when when christina's pregnant and then the rest of the time basically 
she's been postpartum. And how you do NFP postpartum can be very different than in regular cycles. So I can't really speak to the rhythm of NFP during during regular cycles, but it can be tough postpartum when you go several weeks or even more than a month of abstinence. And then it's like, okay, now we got a week. So then there's this pressure of, you know, uh, how many times can we do it in a week or something? But then it almost feels like a chore and not, and not something that's organic. So the, the whole like fasting and feasting aspect to it, especially postpartum, I think, I mean, maybe some people like that, but I think it can be, I don't know. It can easily turn, turn sex into a chore more than something that organically flows from the relationship. Yeah. So do you have advice for injecting romance into (laughs) the chore? (laughs) Well, I don't know. Isn't that the point? (laughs) Well, what I've read online is that women giving each other advice. It's like, well, you know, have some wine, you know, light some candles, have a nice dinner. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, I think I think the biggest thing is just being honest and talking about it. Because, I mean, there's been times when, you know, there's a month of abstinence and, and then there's a, a free week. And then there's we know we're staring down another month of abstinence. But after like halfway through that week, we're both at a point where we're like, well, do you want to? Because I don't know if I'm feeling like it. Yeah, I wasn't really feeling like it either. <laughs> so maybe we just watch Netflix. So not just presuming that the other person wants to, cause we only have this week. So, and then obviously once you're in the middle of that next month of abstinence, you're shooting yourself you're like, why didn't we do this as much as we could? That was stupid. Right. So, yeah, so yeah, I mean, the, the harder part, at least, at least for us is during the long periods of abstinence. Cause we're not talking, I mean, what you hear practicing NFP is like, Oh yeah. A woman's only fertile for like, like you don't a couple's only fertile for like four to nine days a month or something. And so anybody can have stained for a week or a week and a half. And it's like, yeah, if only it were a week or a week and a half, that's especially postpartum. Like I said, it's easily a month at a time. So how do you maintain intimacy? Because Harvey wants to just be like, okay, we're just going to have like no physical intimacy at all. Cause that just makes things, Temptation uh, there's just way too much tension at that point yeah but you can't do that because then you end up pushing the other person away so then it's finding this balance of how do we maintain this intimacy uh, without creating so much tension that we end up making things worse so that's been basically trial and error our entire marriage mm. yeah and I can imagine it might be difficult to just NFP in general for people who might be a little bit more free spirited or like not so good at keeping track of things or being organized. Uh, Yeah. In addition to taking away the spontaneity. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of work, especially for the woman. I mean, if you're using a method like uh, symptothermal or a method like Creighton, you are making mucus observations every time you go to the bathroom for all the time, every day. And you have to have to keep track of that, and then you have to uh, chart it and stuff. Now, th- the method the method we use Marquette with a uh, has a monitor, but 
but my wife still has to do a urine test in the morning and a lot of times a urine test at night. And if you don't do it, you don't have a reading that day and that can throw things off. So as much as the methods say, you know, keep the husband involved and all that kind of stuff. There's a part of it where it's like, okay, am I just putting stickers on a chart or marking things on a page? Just like throw me a bone so I can help because <laughs> there isn't that much I, I can actually help with besides talking to you about it. Yeah. And so can you also comment, do you have an answer for people that are like, well, only sissies use NFP anyway, because God doesn't want us to restrict our fertility at all. So like you're, you're talking about people who are like, even using NFP is taking too much control for ourselves that we should more rely on God's providence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say that I mean, if someone wants to do that, that's fine. But that's that's certainly not not what the church teaches. The church calls us to to be to be responsible parents. One of the essential ends or purposes of marriage is not just the procreation of children, but the church teaches it's the procreation and education, or the procreation and raising of children. So you have to take in, into consideration the common good of the children you already have before you decide to have another kid. And that's on top of the consideration of the health and common good and well-being of the spouses themselves. You can't just dismiss that and say, well, like God will provide. I mean, that's like being irresponsible with money and just saying, well, God will take care of us or something. Like he gives us, he, he, he gives us a brain, he gives us reason. And through modern medicine and technology, he's given us the ability to track our fertility, at least to some extent, that it's good to use that mm-hmm. as much as we can. Yeah. I hope I don't sound too negative about NFP. I'm, I'm in an environment where it's talked about so positively all the time. Like I said earlier, if someone's having a hard time with it, they can really feel, feel isolated in it. And I think that as a church, by the church, I don't just mean the priests and bishops. I mean, everyone who's, everyone who's Christian, everyone who's Catholic in this case, um, needs to do a better job of recognizing that there's a lot of real suffering that couples go through because of NFP, as, especially people with like medical issues and serious reasons not to get pregnant. I mean, the burden of staring down months, if not years, of abstinence in a marriage is, is overwhelming. And if you don't have a community that sees that as a legitimate form of suffering and is willing to help you carry that. I mean, that's tough. In in, in the community I'm in, there's been some fantastic things uh, that we've done, both as a parish and as a community in general to help couples who struggle with infertility and something that we're talking about more and reaching out to people more. So, um, I mean, first of all, just being able to talk about it more and not keeping infertility and, and miscarriages secret as if it's something we shouldn't talk about, but not cringing when people talk about it, but actually trying to empathize with people doing a, uh, where the parish is doing something in, in our cemetery to really set something up for, for women who have miscarriages. Mm-hmm. So because a lot of times there isn't a body to actually bury, to actually have a funeral or anything that we can still set up some type of memorial and have a plaque or have a statue or have something, um, something tangible to have a memorial there. So things like that, 
And I think the church, like I said, at least in my experience, has done a really good job re- reaching out to couples in those situations. But I think if but I think we can also do that for people who are also struggling with NFP, because I think that the burden of staring down years of abstinence or the burden of having a kid every every two years or or more often than that, we know people who they're fertile like right away. Yeah. Even if even if they're breastfeeding, even if they're following the rules, like they get pregnant and have kid, you know, twelve months after they just they just had a kid. And that can become a huge burden, especially if you're looking at, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten kids and if they're all young, you need to have the community to help help you take care of the kids. That's just not possible on your own. Yeah, definitely. Good words. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. Yes, thank you so much for oh, yeah. sharing your story. Your willingness to be open. Yeah, yeah, it's not an easy thing, I think, for a lot of the negative parts of what a lot of people actually do. So. Yeah, this is, it's, thanks for having me. I wrote I, I wrote that article you guys had mentioned about uh, a couple months ago, and it wasn't meant to be like something controversial or anything, but it, it kind of sparked a lot of discussion. But a lot of the feedback was, was really positive of people saying just things like, thanks, thanks for talking about this because I thought I was the only person. But thanks for talking about this because I feel like I'm not alone in this, that mm. you know, other people experience this too. And that really hit me like, man, we need to have more conversations like this. Because yeah. if people feel like they're do people feel like they're doing this alone, then I think we as a community have have failed in some way. Yeah, definitely. And um how can people go check out your writing? What do they need? Yeah, to do? so <laughs> I'm just a guy with a personal blog. So uh <laughs> uh <laughs> But recently I've been writing with a group of people. We've put together a website to uh, support and love and and defend Pope Francis and the things that he's doing. So I would really encourage people to go there. That website is called uh, wherepeteris.com, which which comes from the saying from the early church fathers that where Peter is, so is the church. So faithfulness to to the Pope uh, is something essential for Catholics, but but Francis has gotten a lot of flack recently from Catholics. So mm-hmm. this is a response to that. Awesome. Cool. Well, we'll definitely include the uh, link in our show notes. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Paul. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you. It was great talking with you guys. You too. Yeah. Great talking with you. All right. Thank you for listening to our podcast. This has been another episode of Fishers of Men. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please email us at fishersofmenpodcast at gmail.com or find us on our website at fishersofmenpodcast.com. We are also on Facebook under Fishers of Men. Follow us on Twitter at at LA Gone Fishing or on Instagram at Fishers of Men Podcast. There is an underscore after each word. Please also remember to rate and make comments on iTunes if you feel so inclined. It's really important so that other people can discover our podcast. I'm Larson Sams. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. And until next time, sort of.